The Night Owl Podcast, Episode 19, Pioneer Farms, Part 2. Welcome to the Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you, right here. If you have a story to tell, we're currently looking for more personal ghost stories, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightowlpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. We'd love to consider it for the show. In this episode, we pick up where we left off on our first visit to Pioneer Farms. After taking a tour around this vast property, rich with both history and haunts, with Rhonda and a few volunteers, Sarah arrives and will now join us for a second walk around this farm. This time, instead of the farm's volunteers guiding us, we will allow Sarah to take us where she is pulled to go. And on this dark and quiet night, surrounded by numerous historic buildings and sites, Sarah must put her abilities to the ultimate test, trying to navigate a spiritually rich location with an overwhelming number of messages bombarding her from the other side. And I myself start to wonder, how do we handle a case as large as this one? Stay tuned. If you're new to the show, a quick note. This podcast is best devoured in chronological order. So we highly recommend that you stop here and begin your journey with us on episode one, Ink, Coffee, and Spirits. Before we begin the show, I have some great announcements and reminders for everyone. As you've hopefully heard or seen by now, we rolled out a really unique offering for listeners last month at one of our favorite haunts from Season 1, The Clay Pit. The Night Owl Podcast now has a hidden spirits menu behind the bar there, and anytime you order off this special menu, a portion of the proceeds comes right back to support the show. On the menu, you'll find four very uniquely crafted cocktails inspired by our show and the spirits we discovered residing in the Clay Pit's building. But these drinks are only the start of a bigger initiative to roll out unique offerings for our listeners. We soon hope to bring unique hidden menus to all the locations we can that we feature on our show, both past and present. And coming soon, we'll be starting our very own Night Owl Tours, where listeners can get a true Night Owl experience, walking through the haunted locations we feature on our show with our very own team. Yours truly will be your guide, accompanied by our clairvoyant friend Sarah and occult specialist Alexis. The Clay Pit will be the first tour we offer, and we aim to make this tour available sometime in late June. Others will follow in July and August, and we hope to include many of our favorite haunts like Buda Antique Mall, Spider House Cafe, Royal Legion Tattoo, The Tavern, and Buenos Aires Cafe. These meetups and tours will be very intimate, only 10 tickets sold at a time, and offered either quarterly or monthly depending on how well they are doing. But an important note to those who hope to get tickets for these upcoming events, Patreon supporters always have first access to tickets. So if you're really hoping to grab a ticket for this exclusive first round of tours, Become a Night Owl patron today for as little as a dollar a month. So go check out patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the Night Owl podcast. And I hope you can join our Night Owl patron community. And last announcement, I promise. I realize that I've never informed listeners on the show that we actually have some fantastic Night Owl merch on our online store, thenightowlpodcast.com. We have tanks, tees, stickers, and even a kick-ass glow-in-the-dark enamel pin, my personal favorite in our shop. Buying our merch not only supports the show financially, but you're promoting the show in your own community by wearing or displaying it every time you're out with it. So hop on our online shop and grab yourself some Night Owl merch tonight. That's thenightowlpodcast.com. This episode is brought to you by Oh Boy Print Shop. When you need custom t-shirts, this shop's got your back. At Oh Boy, they've made customer satisfaction and quality their top priorities. Their aim is to supply you with quality products that meet your every need. Specializing in custom screen printing for organizations, clothing companies, schools, businesses, and even events. Big or small, Oh Boy is here to help. Crisp, clean t-shirt printing without setup fees or hidden costs, and always delivered on time. Ohboyprintshop.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y printshop.com. And now, mention the Night Owl podcast and get $50 off your first order. To pick up where we left off in the previous episode, it was the night of August 17th. We'd just taken the walking tour with Rhonda and a few other volunteers, and were making it back to Sprinkle Corner Village, where I could now see Sarah and her husband standing near the front entrance. I went over to greet them and see how Sarah was feeling. I hadn't told her anything at all about the location, and needed to at least inform her that we were about to take a pretty long walk around the property to make sure she was hydrated 
and ready to go soon. Sarah immediately let me know that she needed a moment. I could see she looked a bit overwhelmed as we walked through the front entrance together. She was asking me what I'd gotten her into now. I, quite honestly, was worrying the same thing myself. My mind was racing with all that I had just heard on our first tour around the farm with Rhonda and the team. There were so many things that I could hardly keep track of all the activity and the locations they were reported at, but I did my best to catalog it in my head. At the Orsay House, just at the edge of Sprinkle Corner Village, Rhonda shared stories of the door opening for volunteers carrying items into the house, and also her sighting of the tall shadow figure. This figure was later referred to as the Man in Black, who had been seen in various parts of the property. Most notably, he was seen turning people away from the haunted trail during a Halloween event at the farm. And near the banks of Walnut Creek, where the Tonkawa encampment was, there were numerous reports of people seeing Native American spirits in the area. Rhonda saw a Native American man standing in the distance one evening, and her daughter also witnessed a Native American man ducking into a teepee that was set up near the old oak tree. Mike also reported seeing figures coming through the fog along the banks of the creek, and then there were many reports of guests seeing a young Native American girl throughout the property. And at the only Native homestead to this farm, the Texian farm, there were reports of a playful child spirit. One volunteer woke to see the child jumping on the bed. Another time, another volunteer woke to find their blanket folded neatly at the foot of their cot. And Kit had the incident where her infant son was laughing at something that she just couldn't see, but then heard a child giggle back from within the walls of the house. Later on the trail, there was the Scarborough Barn, where Chuck and Catherine witnessed a man that they call the Cowboy. Chuck saw him interacting with the horses one evening, and when Catherine saw him, he was moving cows to the side of the barn, but later realized, one, there was no one else on the property that matched the cowboy's description, and two, the farm did not have any cows on the property. Lastly, there was the Bell House, where so many of the volunteers reported strange activity. They believed Mrs. Bell, the former owner of the home, opens doors on command and seems to react to things or guests that she doesn't approve of. There were also reports of disembodied voices and sometimes conversations heard in the building. There were many other smaller moments, including seeing orbs of light, hearing a small girl giggling at various sites, including the front office, and even the sound of a wagon crashing into the creek that Catherine and Kit both reported. So I did my best to keep this all fresh in my mind as we were about to take Sarah on the second trip around the farm tonight. Upon entering the village, Sarah needed to have a seat. She pulled out a notepad and began relaying what she was getting so far. What's going on? These are all very interesting, different um, spirits. There are? They're very different in different timelines, different areas, locations. Um, so I'm getting three, four. Whoa. It's like an inundation, like a flood. Jesus. Okay. Um... But one, but I can't really see him clearly. It's just one man, just kind of, it feels like he's kind of just wandering the property a little bit. So I'm trying to focus where he's going. I can't tell yet. Okay. There's definitely like a little, it's either a little girl or a small adolescent on the property also. Um, very pretty. Big sun hat. Sometimes she takes it off. You see the wisps of her hair. She's more of a playful type of spirit. Um... Then I'm getting like a, quite a few like Native American type spirits, I guess, if you want. Uh, but there's several, like several, quite a bit. And then, like in that back house in the window, there's somebody that keeps peeping in over here. Which one? That back, the very furthest house. And you're seeing them in that window? Like in a shadow, like in the windows. Yeah, they're okay. beaming back and forth in the windows, but it's only a shadow. I can't see very clearly. And the Native um, Americans, did you get a sense of what they were wearing? They're, I don't know. One is like a... Uh, it's almost like a beaded something here. And there's something here like a... Like a weapon type thing. I don't know what it is. I don't know, but it's, uh, it's it's very heavy beaded up here. Um, kind of like pant type, but the top is just like a, something that was a layover. It doesn't have like it doesn't have sleeves or cloth to it. And then the other, it's a girl, but I, she's not coming in very strong, so I can't see her. See her? I just hear her, which is weird. And I'm getting lots of like birds and deer and. Um, rivers and creek images and um, like exp- 
explosions, I guess. I don't know if that's an explosion or a gun, like a fight, like a battle. That's what I'm getting a lot of images of, like, that. This girl you're talking about is the one with the sun hat, or is this a different girl? No, it's a different... This one's a Native American girl. But she's coming across very strangely, so I don't know. I've got to do it. But then there's other scattered... There's a lot. There's so many. There's other scattered things here. There were already several interesting things to take note of. Sarah saw a young girl in a sun hat upon entering the village. One of the stories I recalled was the story of a volunteer hearing a child's giggle outside the window of the main office of the farm. Sarah also pointed out a man roaming around the property, but she wasn't getting much detail on them at the moment. My mind immediately went to thinking that this could possibly be the man in black. Then Sarah quickly brought up the fact that she was seeing a lot of Native American spirits. She kept reiterating to me with big eyes, there are a lot. I hadn't told her anything about this property, and she was picking up on things that I found very validating. One, the large Native American presence, and two, she mentioned seeing images of rivers and creeks. Without prior knowledge, it'd be very difficult to know and understand how vital a role Walnut Creek played for the Native American tribes in the area, as well as early settlers. And the creek is located so far away from the front entrance, if you recall, we didn't even come across it until over a half-mile walk into the wooded trail. And not to mention, Sarah also brought up seeing a young Native American girl, a very common report here at Pioneer Farms. Lastly, and truly most fascinating to me, is that the first house she pointed to and reported seeing a shadow moving in the windows was the Orsay House. The greenhouse is the last house on the right as you're leaving Sprinkle Corner Village. This is where Rhonda saw a tall shadow figure standing at the fence one night and where volunteers report the door opening for them when they are carrying items into the home. What I find important about this is how this property, especially where we're sitting now with Sarah, has so many pioneer buildings and homes on it. I was curious if Sarah was going to be pulled to all of them or just ones with reported activity. And in these first few minutes here, she skipped over all the other buildings in the village and pointed to the only one with reported activity, the Orsay House. All of this was definitely piquing my interest already. That's my baseline. Okay. So okay. We'll go with distract that. Distract me wherever you. Let's let's go where you were led first to that. Which is that back that house back in house. the back? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that first. Okay. I'm just waiting. I have to um, get an answer. You asking permission? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. One at a time. Who? What is your name? I know. I, I, I can. I can tell you, but you need to tell me what your name is first, if that's okay. Okay. Where are you? You are in. Uh, Austin, Texas? Okay. Get out. It's time to get out. Get out. Okay, I will get out. All right, I'm good. We just want to know where they were. Oh. That was weird. Okay. I, can t- I can't tell, but it's somebody who's very confused about being here. And all I see is like, parades of people, like there's a lot of people and they're asking, where am I? They're constantly asking me, where am I? If you can recall, mostly all the buildings on this historic site were transplanted here from other locations, many from other parts of Austin and a few from other Texas towns. The fact that Sarah was saying many of the spirits here seemed lost and kept asking her, where am I? Got me wondering if some of the spirits came tied to the buildings, but were now confused by the change in scenery. The Orsay House in particular used to be located downtown Austin, on Neche Street between 9th and 10th. It was built in 1875 and remained there until 2009, when Pioneer Farms saved it from demolition to preserve it here on the farm. And so when I responded, hey, you're in Austin, Texas, it was kind of like, no, like a disbelief and get out. So I'm going to wait till they kind of come around a little bit, and then I'll come back and talk to them. Okay. I guess they're a little upset now. Um, but they're not giving me a clear vision of who they are as, a, as like a person. It's just a really big shadow. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, maybe about six foot tall, lean. It's mostly just head and body shape. So it's like just the shape of a form of a head, some shoulders, and a little taller than I am. 
Sarah's details on the shadow figure she was seeing at the Orsay house directly hit on what Rhonda had told me she had witnessed at this very same site. Listen to Rhonda's testimony once again. I've seen an apparition at that site. Um, we call it the man in black just by the description. He's very tall and he's just a, a black shadowy shape. And he was leaning against the fence. I was out here really late one night with some event prep. I was the last one to leave. I had driven around to make sure everything was locked and I was driving back up the road past the house and it really startled me to see a man standing by the fence and then I blinked and he was gone. But I'm trying to figure out if that's the, if it's a male spirit or if it's a female spirit also in there or it kind of came across really strange and protective. In a protective way that women do, not in a protective way that men do. That's why I'm a little con- confused. I don't know how to explain that. Uh, okay. When men protect stuff, it's more um, territorial, more uh, about the space. And when women protect things, it's mostly about individuals. Like, you know, somebody comes in and I'm protecting that person, not necessarily the, the space. Right? Yeah, I understand. So this one was a little bit different. It was more about a person, more about a where's this person and where am I? Mm. A little bit of confusion. Okay. All right. We'll come back to it. I knew that the trail would loop back and have us pass by this house on our way back to the front entrance. So I decided to give the energy that Sarah felt had got upset some time and we'd readdress them when we circled back around. As we put some distance between us and the village, approaching the trail that cuts off along the tree line leading down to the creek, Sarah noted something. Is there what? A lot of deer that come through here. And... Chasing is because I'm seeing cha- like uh, chasing spirits, deer and people chasing it around right here. As you reach the turn to head down the trail to the right, there's a tiny old stagecoach stop situated on the right corner of the field just as you turn right onto the trail. As we walked by, Sarah just pointed out seeing someone sitting on the porch of this old building. There'd been no reports at this small site, but here's what Sarah saw. There's a man on the end of that porch with a little hat on and a small little tie, kind of like waving at me. What's going on? But the, this man in particular has a, if you were to spot him, see him out the corner of your eye, he's going to be wearing a, like almost like a little hat. I, don't, I call them those little old banker hats. Uh, he's very slender, maybe, maybe about your build. A little tie. And there's something else, but I can't quite see it yet. But he likes to wave. So somebody's going to wave at you. It's going to be that man. <laughs> He's the one that's going to wave at you. Tell me the name. Come on. Oh, so close. It's a J. Joseph Giles. Something like that. Okay. I'll just narrow down on it when we walk back. Okay. But the confusion, a lot of the confusion is, where am I? I'm getting a lot of where am I? Where am I? Sarah continued to get bombarded with this question as we made our way along the trail that was now leading us down to the small German immigrant farm known as the Kruger Farm. On our first tour with Rhonda and volunteers this night, there weren't many reports at this site, but as we approached, Sarah was drawn to it, so we pushed into the yard and entered this tiny cabin. And that's not my... Okay. Place. This is not their place? No. This one's just a, he moved in. He just moved in here because he liked it. He liked the people, he likes the energy. He said it feels like home. Which is odd because he's not the same time period like this would be. What does he look like? Um, he's round, uh, round in the middle, a little older. He just comes here and then, it, hold on, who was that? Okay. There's someone else in here, but this he's stronger, so he's blocking the other person out. Okay, so this one's... I think his name is Edward. Ed... Wait. Edwin or Edward? And then and there's... Are, can you let the other person talk to me, please? I will still be here. I'm not going to go anywhere, but please let me, let, let me talk to the other person. Thank you. woman same question okay uh he went out, i made him go outside so you can talk to me if you want to okay okay oh 
Okay, I'm just gonna. It's a lot. Okay. You wanna walk around any of this property, or are you? Yeah. Where There's are you drawn to? Coming out back here somewhere. I just can't put my finger on it. I was noticing that Sarah looked overwhelmed. I don't know why it never crossed my mind how massive this property was and how much history this land and the many buildings on it had seen. But Sarah was doing her best to sort through the many spirits coming at her this night. And without guidance, she continued to lead us where she was being drawn. And in this moment, she was drawn to the backyard of the Kruger farm. And near the edge of the back of the property, there were woods. And Sarah was pacing back here and looking into the dense trees with caution and curiosity. What the hell was that? What do you see? I don't know. So you see where Alexis is standing? Uh-huh. There's like a... Oh, what is it? Like a... Like a void. Okay. Alexis, take like three steps back. It's so tripped out. It's like a little void of energy. Like a door. Like a... Uh, I don't know. Not a door. What's the word? Portal? Yes. Thank you. I'm like, you go through it. <laughs> It's like a, but it's really weird. It's made out of really cool energy. Okay, so it looks more like a mystery doorway, like a mirage. It is a portal. That's cool. They're using it to move. Her name is Edwin. Is the fat guy? I don't know what her name is. She's not gonna tell me. The general sense of that void, though, or is it? Is it? Negative or positive or? It's positive. It's bringing things in like you can walk through it, but all it's doing is shifting energy from one space to another. So if I were to like, if if Alexis had walked through there, he would have reappeared over here. Oh, okay. That's all. Hmm, and it looks like a like a doorway, like a, not a doorway, but Portal. like a mirage. Like if you were to see the heat from the street coming up, right, a bit tall. That's what it looks like. There must be like a underground, like a spring or a waterway, like right here. Somewhere. Hmm. Is there any water around here? Um, there are springs at various places all over the property. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, we still got a lot to cover. Let's keep. Let's okay. move on. So Walnut Creek is right behind us. Uh, right behind that, also, Sarah. Oh. Okay. That makes sense. The closer we get to water, the weirder it's going to get. Sarah was further behind me, so the mic didn't quite catch what she had just said, but she stated, the closer we get to the water, the weirder it's going to get. And I knew where we were heading next. The trail we were on now would lead us deeper into the wooded area, to the banks of Walnut Creek, and to the Tonkawa encampment. As it had happened on our first time on this walk, the sounds of the night began to change. The light of the moon grew more faint as we pushed through more dense areas of the trail, the mood was shifting as well. We were all a bit tired by now, so we were talking less, and the night was much more quiet and ominous than before. I wondered if Sarah was going to pick up on any of the Native American spirits in the area that many had reported sighting here. But I didn't have to wonder long, because Sarah stopped everyone and was pointing into the trees lining the trail to our right. Just ten feet from where I was standing, she was seeing something. What do you see? It's a face. So, like, uh, I can't draw it because I can't see. Where do you see it? Point to it from me. Right here. In the, tre- in the trees. Inside. Like, in that little hole. And then if you were to just turn slightly right there, there's another one. Oh, really? Yeah. This is a male Native American. And he's not talking to me at all. He's just watching just us watching. go by. Yeah. And the same thing on this one. It's a little uh, scary. So you, yeah, you stay with, with her. I know I shouldn't be surprised by now, seeing as Sarah always does this, but I don't think I'll ever stop being surprised with how accurate she can be. We were literally approaching the path that steers directly into the Tonko encampment, where the 500-year-old oak tree stands by the banks of Walnut Creek. It's completely dark, and the way that the path cuts to the right doesn't allow for you to see the staged teepee and the camp the farm has set up there, so there was no way for Sarah to have seen or known that this was the exact area where archaeological evidence of Native Americans was found on this property. 
So I was really impressed with the fact that she started not only seeing Native American spirits in this moment, but began describing their tone and behavior changing, as if they were on guard, protecting something. Sarah didn't know what we all knew, that this area was sacred and an integral part of the Native Americans' lives while they were settled here. The feeling that we were unwelcome and trespassing seemed to intensify as we turned right onto the path leading to the ancient oak tree and encampment area. And we could all see that it was affecting Sarah. There's so many guards. So many guards? Guards, yeah. Ah, okay. Too much? I have to wait for a lot of permission. Okay. Do you need us to stay back in just a couple of weeks? Yeah. Okay. Probably. Because this is. Okay. I'm getting a lot of warnings. I'm feeling sick. Yeah. You need to step back? Hold on. I'm getting a lot of warnings not to be in here. Hold on. Lots too many. Too many warnings. I can't ignore that. Okay. It's making me sick. We can go talk over there if we need to get back out. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I'm already sweating. I can't do that. Okay. Watch your step. Yeah. I know. You're a big old threat. Okay, so like you and Tony need to like leave. <laughs> leave, 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 leave. You might recall from previous cases we've been on, Sarah's husband Renee and my wife Tao both have somewhat repelling effects on some spirits and energies based on what Sarah sees. And in this moment, she verbally told Renee and Tao to leave, and you can hear the frustration in her voice. She later informed us that the Native American spirits were defending their territory, but Renee and Tao's energies were pushing theirs back. Even Alexis had to go back to the main trail, so Sarah and I could remain by the old oak tree to see if we'd be allowed to continue alone. What were they doing? Is that better? So they're threatening to them? Holy cow, yeah. These guys are angry people. All right. Is that better? So much better. Wow, that was horrible. Okay. Sorry, guys. Okay, thank you. Permission has been granted to you, Stephen. I think it's just that they're already used to you guys and we're intruding. So you've got like... So weird, that's a different collection of um, two different types of Indian tribes you have here. So one, it says, this is mine. So there's a couple of them saying, this is my territory, but they're different from from others. So um, you have... So the guy that I saw earlier with the beating, he doesn't belong here. But this guy and that girl, they belong here. So their style of dress, let me try to figure out what that is. So I'm seeing, what color is that? That's a earthy, like an earthy brown, tan. Yeah, I'll only talk to you because you've been the nicest so far. So he's more like this. He's wearing something more like kind of drapey, just like yellows, white, orange. Okay, and she's more same colors, yellow, orange. And this one is not, this one's different. He's got darker darker material with the thing snow snow shirt and he's more into the red white lots of warring and then they're community based almost like a community is what I'm getting but the other ones are more fighters the ones that two were different, the ones that are one. here, like are supposed to be here, are the community. They're more community type based, I think. This is what it looks like. It sounds like this is mine, but we're more we work as a unit better. And the other one was more like I'm just gonna go invade. I'm gonna go and take over everything. 
So I'm getting two different communities like that. And I'm getting energy, like a lot of energy. And it's really weird. It's like they're being pulled here. So I think maybe they're just being pulled to what they're familiar to. Um, even though it's not right, they have, need a place to go, so they're coming here. And, whoa. Okay. And I'm getting a lot of requests. I'm seeing smoke, eagles, water, deer, uh, and then like an open space of land. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but that's what I'm getting from them. And uh, very protective of their, they are claiming their space. Like, this is mine, go away. They've kind of just settled here. But they're giving me, um, remember when we went to New Braunfels? Mm -hmm. They're giving me the same um, herbs and smoke and the same images that that other girl was giving me, except it's without the flowers, it's more earth-based, like uh, animals and birds, lots of birds. So it's really strange. It's almost like they're asking for the ritual. And there's more than you think there are. There's not just like one or two or three. There's a lot, several. And I think they're just drawn to the energy that's coming from this particular area. Like if you're walking in the way we did, there's multiple guards on the sides um, going out to the trail that we came off of. And then in the trees, there's like, they're always watching, always looking, or they're running through that big main field. That's why I kept seeing like deer and people chasing them. So they're kind of going about their everyday life as they would, but they're attracted to this space. And I think it's because of the energy. So surrounded by water, that makes sense. It's like they're just waiting for something. It had been a long night, and Sarah had made some pretty significant validations so far. She briefly touched on a Native American girl spirit upon entering the farm, went straight to the Orsay house, the first and only house with reported activity in the town square, described a tall shadow figure there that corroborated what Rhonda had witnessed and perhaps tied in with the sightings of the man in black. Then she discovered a few new spirits and energies, including the strange portals behind the Kruger farm. And when we approached the Tonkawa encampment near Walnut Creek, Sarah picked up on numerous Native American spirits, all on guard and protective of the space we were entering. But our second trek around this trail was only half complete now. We'd still need to press on and visit the original homestead to this property, the Texian farm, where many reports of a childlike spirit are seen and heard. The Scarborough barn, where multiple sightings of a cowboy have been reported, and lastly, the bell house and its significant amount of reported activity. After this short break, we'll continue our journey with Sarah around this historic farm and undoubtedly get more shocking validations from our clairvoyant friend. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Oh Boy Print Shop. Custom printed t-shirts made in Austin with love. Now there are many reasons why I love this family owned print shop and why Oh Boy is my go-to shop for all things Night Owl. But let me pick one to rave to you about today. Have you ever ordered custom tees from an event or bought some from your favorite band or company? Only to realize that they're thick, scratchy, and look like you're wearing a bag that isn't very flattering on you? Well... That's one thing that won't happen to you when you're with Oh Boy Print Shop. They offer a variety of t-shirts to provide the right choice to meet your needs. I myself prefer comfortable, slightly fitted tees that look and feel awesome enough to wear every day, either by themselves or under a throwover shirt or sweater. Oh Boy Print Shop helped me pick out a tee that fit those needs, and honestly, when I open my closet in the morning, I skip all my other tees and go straight for the Night Owl shirt because it's the most comfortable and flattering tee in my entire closet now. Oh Boy's aim is to provide you with the options that help you get the product that meets your every need. So, there's no more need for hesitating. Order your first batch of custom printed tees with Oh Boy Print Shop today, and you'll be in great hands. Plus, now you can get $50 off your first order by simply mentioning the Night Owl Podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit ohboyprintshop.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y printshop.com. Another thing that keeps this show going is listeners going and supporting our show by grabbing a drink off our special hidden spirits menu at the Clay Pit in Austin, Texas. The menu features four uniquely crafted cocktails inspired by our show and the spirits that we discovered haunting the Clay Pit building. We even have a virgin cocktail option for any fans under 21. On the menu, we have our signature drink, the Night Owl Martini. It perfectly combines bourbon and cold brew with a touch of ancho chili spice and it's guaranteed to elevate anyone's spirit. And one of my favorites on the menu is a drink called El Engaño, which means the deception. 
Handsome, yet deceptive, this drink is a sophisticated twist on the old-fashioned, and it truly represents this establishment's seediest specter, Dowdy. We also have a botanist Aperol Spritz. It's fresh, herbaceous, and crisp, with a touch of bitterness that we can expect this building's strong female phantom, April, would surely appreciate. And lastly, we have our Hibiscus Palmer. Sweet, tart, and refreshing, this drink was inspired by the hardest-working spirit at the clay pit, Stedman. This unique take on the Arnold Palmer features house-made raspberry hibiscus tea combined with lemonade. You can have this one with spirits or without. Simply add deep eddy lemon vodka to make this drink haunted. So head on over to the clay pit, visit one of our favorite haunted locations from season one, and order yourself a drink off our Night Owl Hidden Spirits menu. Just ask for it behind the bar. Thanks for your continued support. By this point, we'd left the Tonko encampment behind and were already circling out of the wooded trail, lining the creek. In the distance, up on the hill, I could see the Texian farm. We made our way up the trail and were approaching it when Sarah started toward the front porch. I know that sound. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're in your way. There should be a rocking chair right there. It's missing. A rocking chair on the front porch? There should be. Oh, okay. Yep. There should be a rocking chair right here. What are you getting from this place in general? Something's not right about it, about the whole place. So if you're here, you'll hear like um, whispering. Maybe as you're walking by, somebody grabs your shirt. Something just grabbed my shirt and something just touched her hand. Wait, really? Yes. Yeah. Right as, right as I said that, I was yeah. so sorry. That's okay. That? So I don't mind. Wait, I wanted to document this. So can you tell me what just happened? It just something touched my hand. Just, you know, kind of grabbed my thumb. And you had something? And something just went like that to, the, to my shirt. Strangely enough, as Sarah and I were in one part of the homestead, my team member Alexis and Pioneer Farms volunteer Rhonda were walking through another room in the house when they both felt something touch them. Ironically enough, Sarah had just finished saying that the spirit might pull on someone's shirt, and apparently seconds later, Alexis actually felt his shirt being pulled, and Rhonda felt her thumb being grabbed. When Sarah and I walked over, she was quickly picking up that the spirit was that of a child. It's a small person, like a child. I can't, he's five, six, six, okay. Or it's kid energy. Come on, do you want to play? Too many people. Okay. But it's okay. Do you want to go in any of these other rooms? Someone was sick in this room. The bed should actually be like this. Long ways on this side. There's a table missing over here. But someone was sick in here. And yeah, I know. I know. It's the, that's not what the view is supposed to look like, right? You're missing something over here, and a ball, <laughs> and a rocking chair. Got it. Okay. What was the other thing? A ball. A ball. Also looking for a ball. So also, if you're in here, you'll hear like taps. It's that ball. He'll roll the ball. You're gonna hear taps like that. Those are the things you're feeling? Yeah. Okay. And you just stick a rocking chair if you can up in the front. That'd be great. <laughs> That's just a, I don't know, one of those things that they're obsessing with right now. Then they do that to me sometimes. I will do my best to get you a rocking chair. You feel like moving on? Yeah, that's all I okay. got. This kid's kind of fun, though. He's fun? Yeah, five. His name is Micah. Micah? Micah. That's what, it, that's what he spelled. I don't know if that's right or not. Okay. The reports at the Texian farm were mostly reports of a childlike spirit. In our first part of this series, Kit reported a child laughing back at her infant son as if the child was playing with another child at the farm. Two other volunteers had reported incidents with a childlike spirit as well, one waking up to see a child jumping on the bed and another waking up to find their sheets taken off of them and folded neatly at the foot of their cot. And it was very interesting that Sarah was seeing a very young boy here, around the age of five. And on top of that, we had two in our group, Rhonda and Alexis, whom he seemed to mess with when we first arrived. Aside from the boy, 
Sarah was picking up that someone had been sick in one of the rooms, along with the constant reminders that things in the house and property were changed and they weren't the way they originally were. And there was the constant request for a rocking chair on the front porch and a ball for the boy she was now calling Micah to play with. We got back on the trail and headed toward the big red barn now. On the way there, Alexis and I took the lead. Sarah and the group were behind us. Alexis pointed out that he actually saw a man walk into the barn. Just don't tell her anything yet. Okay. Yeah, I just saw him walking in. Okay. Uh, there he is. What do you see? Hey, I saw you earlier. When I walked in. Yeah. Yeah. Who is it that you're seeing right now? Which one? Well, I didn't tell you about this one. This is just part of my baseline when we were in the front. I was wondering when I was going to get to run into him. And there you go. Hold on one second real quick. Did anybody shine a light right there? No. No. Okay. I did see something just move right there. As many of you know, I rarely have unexplained experiences on this show. But in this moment, I saw what I thought was a light move along the exterior of the backside of the barn that we were approaching and move into the open barn doors. It was more out of my peripheral vision, and I assumed that a member of our party had shown a flashlight into the barn, but apparently no one did. So I'm not sure what I saw out of the corner of my eye, but I remembered something from Kit's interview in part one of this series. She mentioned that orbs of light floating along the trails and into the woods was a common report on the farm. I wondered if I'd just witnessed the phenomena myself. But Sarah was being pulled into the barn by a male presence, and I was curious who she was going to uncover at this site. My sir. He's very nice, very chivalrous. What a nice man. Older. Yeah, so I guess he just kind of hangs out around here. He's not, I guess, part of the building. He just likes to hang out. Watch the people, watch the animals. He used to... was like a cowboy. I see the hat. Kind of like ranching was his thing. Um, tall, very tall. Um, something about cows, I don't understand what that means. Say what? Cows. Cows need cows. Need cows. You need cows. <laughs> this moment was one of the most exciting for me this night. As you recall, the two stories we heard surrounding the activity at this barn were involving a cowboy. Chuck saw someone tending to the horses one day, and another time Catherine saw him moving cows to the side of the barn. However, the farm had no cows at the time. I was pretty stunned that Sarah was seeing a cowboy here, and the first thing he told her is that they needed cows. You can even hear Chuck exclaim, say what? And then Rhonda begin giggling after Sarah says this. I think we were all pretty stunned by this validation. You were a rancher. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so if you see him, he's working, if you see him. So he'll be in here, checking things out, trying to work, watching people come in and out. Any names? That's what I'm working on. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Grant. His name is Grant. Grant. And I think that it's... Can you say that again? He's best damn rancher ever. His last name is Maynard. Grant Maynard. Very, very tall. Okay. Was a rancher. I don't know where because he's not from here. Because he just asked me where he was at. See, he's showing me things like mountains with snow on the top. Big uh, plain fields and lots of, I guess, cows, cattle. He was like a cattle rancher. That's what he did. I get pictures of, like, horseshoes and land and mountains with snow. Something about traveling. I don't know. But he's very full of himself, so it's great. (laughs) He's very proud that he was a rancher. Very, very, very proud. And uh, just kind of hangs out. Very chivalrous. Very like, come on in. Please and thank you. 
That's kind of nice. I like that. Ghosts that are like that. <laughs> They're very nice. The ghost cowboy. The ghost cowboy. It's kind of nice. It's kind of sweet. That's the ghost cowboy way. Chivalry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the little rancher way. Yeah. But the interesting thing, I think, because you have so many people that come through here, they energize them, and then they're waffling around trying to, you know what I mean, trying to do stuff at night, and then they start having fun. They get bored because they're being ignored, and so they start picking on people during your tours. They purposefully poke in and out of a room, or like I said, they'll touch you, poke, you know, grab your shirt or something, and some people just ignore it. And others are kind of freaked out by it. Like, oh my god, did you see that? Like that orb. Which one? <laughs> Where'd it go? You saw one? Yeah. What was it? It's a little orb. It just went floop. Oh. Sarah now mentioned seeing an orb of light as we were walking on the trail toward our last stop, the bell house. The light was gone as quickly as it had appeared, and no one else saw it. But soon, we were standing at the white picket fence at the bell house. It was the place with the most reported activity. But again, we didn't tell Sarah anything about this property. So I was going to let her let me know if she was drawn to it. And honestly, I was quite surprised with what she said when we stared up at this big yellow house. How's this one feel? That's okay. Nothing too creepy. Okay. Nothing in here. I don't think. Let's find out. I don't feel nothing. Nada. Nada, 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 nada. No. It's dark in here. Nothing. Sounds weird. There's gotta be something. Not a nothing. Huh. What's in there? Let's go look. There's nothing in the house. It's quiet. It's quiet here? Yeah. Oh, I finally found a spot I can actually <laughs> take a little break then. It's quiet here, apparently. It's nice and quiet. This was the only part of the night that just didn't add up. The house with the most reports from volunteers, Sarah felt nothing at, so we just moved on. I had secretly hoped that we'd have an answer for all the activity that all had experienced here. But I knew that this wasn't going to be our first and only trip to the farm with Sarah. A place as big as this, with as many reports and hotspots, we'd definitely be back. But it was getting late, and as we made our way back to the village at the entrance, we passed the Green Orsay house again. Sarah was tired and said that the energy there was still a bit angry, and it'd be best if we revisit it when we returned for another walk around the farm. I agreed, because so much had happened this night, and I wanted to leave room to speak with Rhonda and the volunteers in private to get their take on what Sarah had reported, and if any of it connected any dots for them at all. We already know and can connect a lot of the dots from the testimony and reports we all heard prior to Sarah arriving. Sarah picked up on the Native American girl in the entrance, although she didn't ever really bring her back up again. She went directly from the entrance and was pulled to the Orsay house, the only house with reported activity in the square. And there she saw a tall, slender shadow figure that aligned with what Rhonda had once seen at this exact location. In general, I find it very interesting that on a historic farm with many buildings that were transplanted here from other locations, Sarah kept getting asked by dozens of spirits, where am I? She discovered things not connected to the stories as well. The man on the porch of the stagecoach stop that likes to wave at passerbys. Then the spirits at the Kruger farm, as well as the mysterious portals she could see behind that location. But when we pushed further along the trail, heading toward the creek, Sarah clearly picked up on the strong Native American presences. She pointed out more than one tribe and described the pool of energy that she felt they had toward this part of the land. 
Volunteers Rhonda and Chuck wanted to point out a few new things they observed based on Sarah's reading tonight. There were a lot of things that she said that validate what other people have described in that area. The crowd of people and the energy. Others have described seeing a lot of people in the area and the feeling that there's some sort of energy there that they're being drawn to. Tonkawas were, they were more peaceful here. They interacted with the settlers when they came in. They traded nuts and berries for flour and meal, but they did have enemies. The Tonkawa were fairly peaceful. Um, when the Apache started moving south and moved through this area, then they were the warring tribe. And the description that she gave of the man with the vest, that describes what I saw that morning standing by the road. I was out here really early. I was getting set up for my daughter's wedding, and I was hauling some equipment down past there, and there was a a man in Native American costume standing beside the road, and I started to say something, and then he disappeared. I was also impressed with how Sarah had singled out the spirit of a young boy named Micah at the Texian farm. Numerous reports surrounded this site involving a playful, childlike spirit. We heard about the volunteers seeing a child jumping on the bed, as well as hearing child's laughter in this building. But Sarah was picking up on a few other things, like the sound of a ball bouncing as well. Well, I've heard giggles when I've been there by myself. I've heard child voices and giggles, and this was before the neighborhood was built right behind us where we can hear them now. So there wasn't anything back there that that would have children around. It was just woods. And then um, a thumping sound, kind of a knocking sound that moves all around the house, and you can't find it. If you go looking for it, it moves to a different part of the house. And people have thought, well, it's the wind, but the wind's not blowing, and why would it move? Perhaps this sound could correlate with what Sarah was seeing as the ball bouncing. Sarah also stated that one of the rooms in the Texian farm had someone who was really sick in it. When I brought it up again, Rhonda revealed something very interesting. Mrs. Jordan died. She was maybe in her 60s or 70s. She was, she was not a young woman at the time. Her grandchildren had gone to a dance in Sprinkle, and they came back with measles. And she and a daughter or daughter-in-law got measles and died. So it was interesting that she was talking about the person being in the room and being sick. Not to mention this was the same house that Alexis and Rhonda had their personal experience in. I felt something just kind of touch my hand, kind of pull on my thumb a little bit. A very brief, and then it was gone. We were in the kitchen, and I think Sarah had just said that he likes to play pranks on people, right? Or something like that. And then as she was walking out the door, I felt what I thought, somebody tug on my shirt. And I actually thought it was you. Because I was behind you. Because you were behind me, and I thought maybe you were trying to get my attention. So when I looked at you, I saw you kind of looking in your hand, and I said, something just pulled on me. You said, something just touched my hand. So it literally happened around the same time. I just imagined in my head just like a little boy kind of going like, you know, and then running away. The last note I had regarding the Texian farm was how Sarah kept saying that something wasn't right. Something was off about the layout or placement of the homestead. Rhonda shared some helpful information that might explain why Sarah kept saying this. And even the house that's original to the property is not exactly in its original location. It was turned and moved like 20 feet, 40 feet, something like yeah. that. She kept saying, this is off, this is wrong, yeah. there's something it, wrong about this house, the view's not the right. View's not right. it was moved and, and turned. And with the cowboy at the barn, Sarah accurately hit that this was a male presence. She actually called him a cowboy literally said that he asked for cows and mentioned that if you saw him, he'd be working. I didn't need much more validation than this, but I was interested to know if Rondo the Volunteers picked up on any other facts that aligned with sightings of this cowboy character. A cowboy at the barn has been seeing the description. It was a tall man. He was standing by the horses. It would seem to match what she saw. When I saw the man walk between the horses, he was taller than the horses, and those are big horses. So the doorway that we were standing in, when I saw him taking the cows out, it was going out of that doorway and then turning left into that pasture. The last thing I was curious to ask about was if anyone had any theories or thoughts on why Sarah would get nothing at the bell house. I was still a little perplexed by this and was just hoping to hear anyone's thoughts. Volunteer Catherine, who's had many experiences at the bell house, spoke up. 
So the bell house is interesting because it's where it's where we see the most things and it's where other people have talked about seeing the most things. But it's an interesting place because Mrs. Bell is very protective of her house. We had these uh, two young men with us who were helping volunteering and they wanted to go and see the ghost house. And so we took them in there, but because they were specifically just going in to kind of be like, oh, we're gonna see the ghosts. <laughs> we went in there and it was so empty feeling. Like it felt like a museum. D- d- does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. it didn't feel like like the home. It didn't feel yeah. like, it felt like it was a completely empty house. It mm-hmm. was the weirdest thing. And then tonight when we went in there, it was the same thing. It was just like, there's, of course there's nothing here because She's very, very... that something's going to happen, and so nothing happened. Yeah, she's very, very protective of her house. Just, like, very protective. So... I wasn't exactly sure if this is why Sarah had gotten nothing there tonight, but it was definitely an interesting theory. Sarah had already left for the night, and before I'd sat down to get these recaps with the volunteers, Chuck had asked if he could take Sarah somewhere before she left. I didn't know where they'd gone, and Sarah had already taken off immediately after that. But now Chuck shared with me what he showed her at the edge of the property in the entrance to the farm. That that last little jump I took with her out to the front gate. Mm-hmm. We got there, and just as we got to the fence, she started commenting on all the energy here, and it's just so much of it. Well, yeah, I just walked her through the edge of the Chisholm Trail. When we were at the Tonkawa camp, the, there's a wagon crossing just below on Walnut Creek. It's one of the only places for a few miles around that you can actually cross the creek. And we didn't give that information before, but that was a wagon crossing and part of the Chisholm Trail as well. Is that the one she kept being drawn to? Yes. Yep. There was so much that happened on our first visit to Pioneer Farms. I hope you can feel the energy that we felt that night reverberate in some small way through your speakers or headphones right now. We were all extremely tired, mentally and physically, and I imagine spiritually for Sarah as well. We needed to call it a night because it was a long drive home for all of us. But I was more than pleased with the results of Sarah's first walkthrough and findings. But it was too early to conclude this case or know if what we were feeling was this energy Sarah felt on the property. But for a quiet, historic farm, littered with ancient landmarks, buildings, and relics from the past, there was something very alive about this place, and I wanted to come back and explore it more. Thanks for listening to episode 19 of the Night Owl Podcast. Our investigation into Pioneer Farms continues on June 24th. In episode 20, I'll begin seeking validation through historical research on this vast property, return to the farm with Sarah three more times to seek more answers, and lastly, I make numerous surprising discoveries that help piece together this complex paranormal puzzle surrounding Pioneer Farms. Can't wait until June 24th? Don't worry. Our next Campfire episode will be available on June 10th. So in the meantime, you can check that out. I'd like to thank my team, Sarah, Alexis, and Franklin for going on these crazy adventures with me, Nicholas Fair and Petey Wilder for your talented musical contributions to the show, Jennifer for keeping us organized and on schedule, as well as assistant editing, my dad, Sam, for his historical research assistance, Alex for his help assistant editing, and my very supportive wife, Tao, for sticking with me all these late nights and long hours, and for taking amazing photographs on every case. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftwork Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightoutpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. And to help keep this show going, and my team and I fed and caffeinated, please support us for as little as a dollar a month on our Patreon page. This contribution not only helps me keep this show alive, you gain access to a ton of cool behind-the-scenes stuff. So please visit patreon.com backslash the Night Owl podcast and become a Night Owl patron today. And a special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Oh Boy Print Shop. If you have the need for custom t-shirt printing, you can feel at ease in the hands of Oh Boy Print Shop. Be sure to mention the Night Owl podcast to get $50 off your first order. And don't forget to stop by the Clay Pit in Austin, Texas and ask for the Night Owl Hidden Spirits menu. Grab a special haunted cocktail and support the show. Thank you all and stay restless out there.
This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcasts or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com. And get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's driftworksound.com. And remember, your first master is completely free.